Truth Espresso, episode 216. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello there, this is your host Daniel Minnick for another new episode of Truth Espresso, and I am joined by my sweet and beautiful co-host Chelsea. And given that this is December and toward the Christmas season, we'd like to talk a little bit about Christmas. And we know that this holiday season, there's lots of hustle and bustle, and of course there's also lots of (laughs) very generous germs to spread around. (laughs) And so, yeah, hope that you all are trying to keep healthy. And yeah, we've been battling stuff as a family, and so, you know, we're going to do our best to push through a little bit. Our voices may not be the best that they can be at the moment and sick kids and so on, but here we go. Thank you, sweetheart, for doing this with me again. Oh, (laughs) yes. Thanks for having me. Ready to talk about the Christmas season and especially the angle that we're going to uh, talk about for this year. Yes, this is exciting. And so what we want to talk about is how Christmas is an especially pro-life holiday. So we want to compare Christmas to other holidays, especially that of the way the secular world thinks of holidays, but zero in on just how pro-life Christmas can be in its details. And we might easily gloss over this, just thinking about the story of Christmas and just looking at cute manger scenes, but not really think about how deeply and profoundly pro-life Christmas is in its theology theology in the historical record and who Jesus is and what he said in his ministry and how Christmas reflects the whole history of the world in the battle of Satan against basically pro-life that gets uh, culminated in the identity of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I like how you pointed out that sometimes it's easy to overlook some of the details in the Christmas story. And I think Christmas especially can be harder because there's so much going on. I mean, like the month of December for us is our (laughs) busiest month with birthdays and holidays. I mean, there's just a lot for many people. And I think that, unfortunately, that's one way that we tend to quickly look over just how profound the Christmas message is and that it speaks life, it speaks hope. And I think in general, people tend to be very selfish around holidays too. And Mm. we can see that in part of the biggest push for Christmas shopping. (laughs) You need this, you need this, and you don't have enough, so get more. And it just invades our society so much. And it doesn't help that we have this culture we're seeing right now that is so focused on death and focused on what's best for me. And even if it's at the expense of someone else's life. And I think this is the epitome of selfishness when we're focused on so much of our own convenience, our own comfort, 
what feels the best, that we're willing to sacrifice another person's even life for that comfort. In the world you see, they treat holidays as merely an escape from labor and a time for festivities mm-hmm. or self-indulgence or convenience. People look at ways to escape like life in reality, even if it means escaping from caring for our own children. I think Christmas is like so secularized now with the push of, okay, it's time for parties. It's time for getting gifts. And what am I going to get? What am I going to give our kids to just kind of keep them quiet so we can have a relaxful day? And it's just surrounded so much by that busyness that it distracts us from the true biblical meaning of Christmas. Yeah, think of hustling shoppers like parents in the mall fighting over the next PlayStation for their kids and so on like that. Yeah, Black Friday deals. Yeah, you mentioned secularization. I just I remember when we were doing research for the Thanksgiving episode, and I remember President FDR who tried to move Thanksgiving back, and the reason he did that was because he thought there was an economic thing he could do to help by getting people more time to do more Christmas shopping and spend more money and stuff. So it wasn't like some altruistic self-sacrifice thing. It was just how do we get people to buy more things and stuff like that. Yeah, secularization of Christmas right there. (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned an escape from labor, kind of like Christmas is another Labor Day or (laughs) something. Or yeah, I mean, even think of how the 4th of July has become mostly just watch fire works and drink beer or something you know yeah everything that becomes secularized just wants to forget about history forget about the sacrifices that people made to bring people life and liberty and just think it's just a break from work and i get to sedate myself from life for a day or something but yeah christmas is definitely deeper in meaning than that and especially it has a very deep and profound pro-life message so contrasted with how secular society likes to treat holidays and how they erect their own holidays for that purpose the biblical view of christmas is others focused it focuses on the needs of others above oneself it's all about sacrifice It's not about the greatness of self to celebrate just how great I am and I need to be celebrated. It's not about celebrating worldly pleasures for oneself. You know, like it's not a day to go to the spa or a day to drink yourself into oblivion or something. You know, that's not what Christmas is about. It's about our need for deliverance and salvation. So it's about how we need something that we might not realize that we do need. So our needs are in contrast to what the way people think that they need need think that they want like i need food or to be celebrated but it's more like guess what what you need is salvation and deliverance from your own problems your own sin your own road to death there christmas is about the greatness of another And we don't mean someone like Beowulf or something like that. We mean the greatness of one who was God in the flesh and how he condescended. So it's about also humility. 
one who was our example condescended, came down, served, and suffered for our sakes. So Christmas is focused on Jesus, not about ourselves. It's about the fullness of humanity and deity reconciled. So our lost state and God's holiness are reconciled together through the arrival of one, namely Jesus Christ. So, especially to sum this up, Christmas is about life and hope. I like your list of what Christmas is and isn't about because, yeah, that's what we need to remember. And I have a trivia for you here before we move on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's early in this episode. Do you know where the word Christmas came from? Let's see. Well, I know it's Christ Mass. It's like Christ's birth. It has to do with the fact that Christ was God in the flesh. You know, I'm trying to think of if there's a ancient language word there, but um, well, you're yeah. on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> okay, or it comes from Latin, right? <laughs> Is it Latin? I think so. Yeah. Okay, and I'm trying to think of the time frame when it first might have been maybe the fourth century. Wow, you're getting detailed here. (laughs) Nice. Okay, so according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, (laughs) (laughs) it originates from the phrase Christus Maeus, first recorded in 1038, which means the Mass of Christ or Christ's Mass. Yeah, I was trying to remember from some church history lessons that I remember listening to a few years ago and that there is some forms of celebrating Christmas that we think might have been around in the third and fourth century, but not formalized with the kinds of traditions that we have now. But there's another variation of it where they say it's a combination of words like mass and Christ, but that it comes from the Greek word Christos, meaning Messiah. Yeah. And then mass. Now I know that word, of course, with the Catholic Church would appropriate it for their liturgical services and stuff with the mass, the Eucharist and stuff. But etymologically, you would say it has to do with recognizing the incarnation, you know, recognizing that he. He's in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. Yeah. So that's why the word Christmas is important. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's proclaiming that Christ, the Messiah, was born. (laughs) Yes, exactly, sweetheart. So we said that Christmas is about life and hope. So how is it about life? Well, it focuses on celebrating the life of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. So new life came into the world. This life is recognized and celebrated. And so it's the birth of the Deliverer who ultimately sacrifices himself for the salvation of mankind. So here comes life for the sake of other lives. And then he will give his life. He will give give up his life for the purpose of giving others life. And so protecting life, bringing new life into the world, valuing life amidst the backdrop of death. And so, yes, Christmas is definitely all about life. It is very pro-life there. I like that illustration of just thinking, I mean, it's not even an illustration, but what actually Christmas is about, that Christ was giving himself for us 
And that's the exact opposite of how we view Christmas or even think about the season now. Like we were saying earlier, it's now we view Christmas more of like, what is in it for me? How much can I get? And the actual reason we celebrate Christmas is how Jesus was like, I'm going to give myself for these people that I love. And I mean, it's just an amazing picture. And it's like so deep in how much God loves us. And that that's a gift that we haven't even earned. Mm -hmm. Like we have done nothing to even be able to get that gift. (laughs) He's like, I'm just going to give this to you because I love you so much. And that's so different than how we live our lives and how we view life. And we're always looking at what's in our best interest and what's the most convenient. How can I get the most? And it's all about me and not thinking about what can I give of myself for others. I just love like how it's just such a contrast there of like what Christmas means and how we celebrate Christmas now. It's we need to get back to that because we would be a totally different society. But we see as we go on to this next part here that what we're seeing today with the pro-death culture is not anything new. And I think that's where some of the Christmas story gives us hope too. Because sometimes you look around and you're like, all right, they just passed this bill. They're saying this now. There's so much negativity. You feel like sometimes it can be hopeless. But we'll read through some passages here where we see there's multiple times where things were looking very down and yet they still had hope. And our hope is always in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So this next part is kind of a fun look at history and how it's very similar to what we see today. Yes, definitely. So we are because the history of Christmas, if we go back before the actual events of the first Christmas, we see what leads up to that and why things were the way they were. And so we see that the enemy or Satan has always sought the death of children. And we see that Satan brought death into the Garden of Eden. Satan is the one who tempted Eve and Adam to eat the fruit in the garden to bring death to humanity. And so Satan is always trying to focus on bringing death to people. And then we see this conflict, this enmity between Satan, the bringer of death, and God, the one who's focused on life, as we go down from the first parents through the progeny and with the promise of the Messiah to come. And so you have attempts to kill children, but the Messiah would be a child who would be born. And so if you're looking for the blessing of the deliverer, you're going to respect life. My name is Andy Olson, and I want to tell you about Echo Zoe Radio. Echozoi Radio is a podcast outreach of Echozoi Ministries. Every month I find a knowledgeable guest to talk about an important and interesting topic that affects the church today. We carefully balance the discussions of positive, God-glorifying doctrines of Orthodox Christianity from a mostly Reformed point of view with exposés of heresy, false teaching, and poor practice that goes on throughout the church today. You can find us at echozoe.com. That's E-C-H-O-Z-O-E dot com. First of all, we see the serpent in the Garden of Eden. We have Genesis 3.15, where God curses the serpent for tempting Eve to eat the fruit. And he says, and I will put enmity 
between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So there's this battle between basically Satan and the one who would be born ultimately of the woman. And so Satan's always trying to bruise the heel of God by trying to bring death, and God is going to bring life, the promise of life there. And then next you have Pharaoh. And so we see as Satan is going to use Pharaoh, we see that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He hardens his heart. In Exodus chapter 1, the beginning of the account of Exodus, Pharaoh seems threatened by the fact that God's chosen people, Israel, even in bondage to Egypt, are growing and prospering. And when you have someone who's focused on power and glory for himself, selfishness, they see life as a threat because they think that the only way to improve himself is to exploit others, to treat the lives of others as if they are worth less or should be subjugated to them. And that's how, if you're focused on yourself, you're going to treat others as merely, you know, their lives are just kind of tools for your own benefit. So if they were just friends, you know, if the Egyptians and the Israelites were just friends and can help each other prosper, they would all prosper. But because the Egyptians wanted to live off the backs of the Israelites, then Pharaoh feels threatened. And so he tells the midwives there to kill the sons of the Hebrews. So basically spare the girls, but kill the boys. In Exodus 1.17, it says, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And so here's Satan trying to work his way with killing the males. And of course, if you kill all the males of the Hebrews, there's already the promise of the Messiah who would come. So here's Satan attempting to influence people to want to kill children and therefore kill the Messiah. When you're reading this verse (laughs) and describing, all I can think about is what it's like today. I'm like, you could easily insert leaders in our own country's names instead of Pharaoh's name (laughs) in some of this. And just you see that hunger and that desire to, like you said, have control and power over people can come in and it just starts destroying other people's lives. And it's, unfortunate that like during the pharaoh and egyptians hopefully there were more people that stood up against that then but the bible only mentions these two midwives that did but i'm like okay where are the voices now that will stand up for life i was just reading an article about the huge number of people that canada is helping with assisted suicide (laughs) it's just i think it was ten thousand. i don't remember for (laughs) sure But I was kind of shocked, like, how fast that's growing, because I feel like it's just been one or two years since that's really started to kind of play a part, especially in some of these other countries. But, I mean, we know that this is going on in the States as well. But just the whole idea that if the person is considered to no longer be a benefit, we can't benefit from the work of that person, then we're going to get rid of them, because now they're just draining from our society, is how they like to put it. And that is so contrary to how God wants us to view life. 
Yeah, like we should sacrifice for the well-being of others, not just treat them as whether they can benefit the powers that be. And yeah, I remember recently reading about in Canada, there was, a, I think, a veteran. So someone who actually was in the military, you know, decades ago, but then had some, I forget what the health problem is, like it needed some kind of surgery be on the waiting list because of the healthcare system they have there but now because Prime Minister Trudeau introduced the assisted suicide law there then uh, eventually the as he's been waiting for a response eventually the I think it was a, a hospital or something that we, he was on the waiting list for eventually contacted him back and tried to compassionately offer him the benefit of assisted suicide you know it's mm. like that's not what he's looking for that's not the purpose of health care which is to care for other people but that's what happens when people are selfish and think that everything has to be managed by a state like that eventually you're going to ration eventually you're going to treat human beings lives only of worth if it's worth to you not as if they're worthy of life in and of themselves you know as a human being well, in the extent that they use their power is very scary. Not that we should be like fearful as Christians. I mean, but it's a reality and we shouldn't just be sitting back saying, oh, that's too bad that happens. But we actually need to be doing stuff about it. Because if yeah. we're not that voice, if we're not standing up for these people, then who will? And it will just keep getting worse. Yeah. And I read the story of this poor family over in Europe. Their baby needed to have a heart transplant or some sort of heart surgery. It may not have been transplant. And when you do open heart surgery, you have to have blood available mm. to transfuse for the infant. So the parents requested that the blood transfusion comes from someone who had not had any... Oh, COVID yeah. jabs. Yeah. <laughs> and the state denied it and um, they took custody of the baby mm. and did the surgery yeah. and gave him whatever blood they had available, yeah. which was blood from someone who had been yeah. COVID jabbed. I've heard a, so. a recently a similar situation of the 14-year-old girl who, yeah, mm. needed, I'm trying to remember if it was blood or some kind of surgery. And yeah, the parents wanted someone who had not had a jab, but of course, you know, because you know, big pharma controls things now, it's like, no, we we can't allow someone to have an option that doesn't benefit big pharma, which then benefits politicians and the health system and so on. So, yeah, it's all about selfishness and feeding the coffers of people who want power and not valuing life in as much as it doesn't benefit the, the powers that be. So I think this should be a reality check for us, though, as far as these parents are trying to protect their children from what they think is best and to give their child the best life. And the yeah. power of the state is overruling the parents and saying, no, we have what's in best interest for your child, supposedly, <laughs> and yeah. overruling what the parents are saying. Because you know that if there was true freedom and love in the medical system, if it was like free and not controlled by the state, of course, you know, hospitals would honor people's wishes because it's more than possible to give someone the care that they need without succumbing to the demands and control of some kind of novel pharma system. That's like saying the doctor knows best. Yes. <laughs> okay. Doctors are, for the most part, very intelligent. They've gone through a lot of training. They do know a lot. 
but they don't know always know best. Mm, yeah. And especially when it comes to parents, parents know their children because they're with them 24-7. They know what is like, okay, this is normal behavior for my child. This is not normal behavior. They know their child even more than the doctor does as far as what is normal and what's not normal. And then I think even a step further, like people know themselves too. They kind of know like there's something off. I need to go get checked out. And I mean, I know we've heard different examples of people that were like, I just had this weird stomach pain. It wasn't going away. They went to the doctor and they find out they have stage four liver cancer. There's so many scenarios where God gives us this insight and ability to know our own bodies and as parents to know how to try to be the best that we can for our children. And so that's, to me, the scary part is when the powers that be come and try and take that position. Definitely, sweetheart. So we see that Satan through the powers that be, just like at that time, Pharaoh in Egypt, we see it today. It likes to set up powers that are not like the kingdom of God and his righteousness and dictate down ways that pit life against life and treat life as without the worth that God ascribes to it. Another example is Haman. (laughs) So when in Egypt, the Israelites were in bondage there, the powers that be wanted to mistreat and kill life, treat the Israelites like they were not worthy, kill the children. So we see Haman here and King Artaxerxes is ruling over the Israelites here as they're in captivity. And so Haman has kind of a bone to pick with Israelites here, with the Jews there. And so in Esther 3.13, he tricks King Artaxerxes to create a law to kill people. Now, Haman lies about what the Jews are up to, and really the king doesn't even know who the people are that he's talking about, but he trusts that Haman's telling him the truth. So Esther 3.13 says, and the letters were sent by posts into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. So we see Satan through Haman is once again trying to kill Jews, trying to kill the children, the little children too. But God through Esther preserves their lives and therefore preserves the promise of the Messiah. Doesn't it make you kind of saddened and I guess disgusted that in these different scenarios we're looking at, it's always the stronger mm-hmm. preying upon the weakest. Yes, definitely. <laughs> like the women, the children, babies. It's like, okay, if you were threatened by people, wouldn't you go after the strong men or like mm-hmm. the leaders or something like that? But no, they go after the weakest ones because it's almost like their desire or their compulsion <laughs> for power makes them almost weak. And like they're not even brave enough to go after the strongest ones. They're going to go after the weakest one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we see that again 
in our society today that it's always the weak, the helpless, the old, the ones that have health problems, the ones that society deems to be unfit or not enough and not adding to society, then those are the ones that somehow should be eliminated. But those are the ones that give our community and our people strength. Yeah. When you see kids like with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. I think they show us how much joy is despite all the craziness around us. Mm-hmm. They love life and just they're so full of joy. It's amazing. And it's like you cannot help but smile when you're interacting with them. Mm-hmm. And it's like if we got rid of all of them, I feel like we would not understand what joy is. Yeah, it would be a pretty <laughs> a pretty um miserable society. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. I think I mean God makes each one fearfully and wonderfully and each one has that purpose of bringing that life and that hope in our community and when we're just cutting them off one by one, then pretty soon we're just going to have nothing. And you mentioned the weakest among us. Well, you know, who gets picked on the most, especially with the abortion holocaust, and who's the weakest among us are the unborn children who want to dehumanize them because those who are the weakest among us, yes, require the most sacrifice to help them. And people don't want to do that because, quite frankly, most of the reason for abortion or wanting to kill children is personal selfishness. I know there's a lot of ancillary factors that go into different things, but ultimately it boils down to someone's selfishness, someone's lack of desire to put one's own wants aside and to sacrifice for the good of someone else who can't just seemingly, at least at the time, directly benefit them. it just makes me so sad because it's like when you have that little one growing inside you Mm -hmm. so we had pretty bad morning sickness for our (laughs) girls yeah but like my body my brain forgets all that because the joy of having that life growing inside you and there's just so much love for your child and it just overrules any of that Mm. and so I feel like it makes me sad for these other women that they suppress that emotion they suppress that bonding with their baby so much to be able to dismiss that there's that connection there so they can go out and be like okay I'm not ready to be a mom right now I'm going to go ahead and have an abortion Mm. like they're suppressing how God made us as women so much and that's to me like the sad part of that because you don't like see physically see the benefit of it maybe but you feel it like in your mommy's heart like you know that that's life that's Mm. just so special inside you and yeah (laughs) sorry i'll stop going on these tangents (laughs) but i think it helps us to understand just how really the reality of these passages of these historical events what they actually amount to if we don't think about and then finally after haman tried to kill little children and the jews there We come to the Christmas story with Herod. So King Herod and his selfishness and his self-glory and his self-indulgence. We see the work of Satan toward Herod because he felt threatened as people were talking about 
a king who would come. And all Herod could think about is, well, I'm the king. I don't want a competitor. I don't want to be reduced here. Who's going to take my place? I don't want anyone else. You know, give me the power and glory and riches. And so we see in the account in Matthew chapter 2, so I'll read some verses there that we see how there's this focus on the life of a little child, which is the Messiah here. Now, later on, as we're going to talk about the incarnation some, but we want to look at how Satan has moved Herod, and we see that the protagonist here is this little child who needs to be rescued from the minister of Satan to try to kill children. So Matthew 2, verses 13 through 18, it says, And when they were departed, referring to the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, who's Mary, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son." Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weepeth for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. So we see Herod, in his selfishness, wants to kill children, because there's the promise of the child who would be the king, and he didn't want any other king there, because... He was selfish and, you know, moved by Satan. And then we see the um, Joseph and Mary taking care of the little child, Jesus, there fleeing to Egypt. And then Herod gets killed because Herod is eaten by worms. (laughs) But um, we see out of Egypt, I called my son. And so, yeah, there's the account part of the Christmas story here about when Jesus was basically the age of a toddler, possibly one or two years old, and his parents there are caring for him against someone who wants to kill children, kill them because they're weak, and kill them because of a potential threat to his own selfishness. <laughs> I love my computers. Matter of fact, I have two of them. And that's not counting all the phones and tablets and whatever else that happens to be smart, as they call it, in my home. I love playing games, creating stories to share, and occasionally even doing a tiny bit of artwork. However, there's a lot about computers that is way over my head. I don't understand installer files. How could one single file install so many onto my computer? I don't understand RAM, or even how the hard drives in my system do what they do. I don't understand any of these things, but they all still work. Someone understood it enough to put it all together. Like computers, there's much about God we don't understand. 
How can God be one and yet have three distinct persons? How can God, after seeing all my sin, still offer the grace of Christ? Why does God even love me? I just don't understand. But that's okay. He does. Countering today's culture in our quest for truth, this is Nathan Caldwell for Countershot. Find all we have to offer at the Life Truth Network by going to life-truth.com. I love that last part of the verse in verse 18, where it talks about that there's going to be great weeping and mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. Mm-hmm. There's a great post-abortion healing group called Rachel's Vineyard. And that's where they focus on is caring for these women who have lost their children through abortion. And people try and say, and Planned Parenthood especially tries to promote that abortion doesn't affect women. But that's not true. It does affect women. And I mean, we can even see here that these women are going to be crying and weeping because their children are no more. When you have a child that grows inside you and then that's taken from you, then you weep, you grieve. Like there's a loss there. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's how God made women. And so when we're promoting abortion as something that should be a woman's right, this is going against how God created women. And ultimately, there's the consequences of that overwhelming grief for your child that's no longer there. But it's awesome that there are ministries like Rachel's Vineyard that reach out and help these women that are grieving and help them walk the path of forgiveness and healing and recognizing that Jesus Christ still cares for them and he still loves them and he wants to reconcile a relationship with them. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. There's a good advertisement there and I want to put a link to that Rachel's Vineyard in the show notes too. So thinking about the history of what leads up to Christmas and Satan's war against humanity and his war against children, his war against life, and as the promise of Christmas has always been about bringing life into the world and preserving life, the life of the Israelites, and so that he can bring about also the promise of the Messiah who would then deliver and give life to not only the Israelites, but the world. And so the next episode, we're going to talk about how Christmas is about celebrating and protecting children And we want to look at specifically the meaning of Christmas in Jesus Christ, the incarnation there. So some of the details we might kind of gloss over about that babe in the manger. And so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso in this Christmas series. And God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 